We're going to be over in a number of different places here today. We're going to start over in 1 Timothy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Last week we were looking at some things. We're going to continue on on some of that. That uh, there were five aspects, five things that we can do to keep ourselves from receiving false teaching, from having those things begin to, to come into us. Because we need to we need to be on guard. These things are going to try and come in. And one of the things that we do here at the church is that we create an atmosphere in which false teaching is not welcome. You keep that atmosphere going, and uh, that, that can go far. You know, a lot of times you go into places and there's things going on in the atmosphere that uh, just... Some of them stop you from doing some of the things you want, and some of them are, are good for you. For some reason, all the stuff I had had gone away. So they're trying to pull back on up here. But that's one of the things we do. We have a, an atmosphere in which those things are not welcome, that they don't come in. And we've got to make sure that we, we keep them out. Because it's going to try and come in into your into yourself, into your body, into your mind, into your spirit. But don't let it. Don't let it. So there's things like that that we can do. You have a, a you create an uncomfortable atmosphere, an atmosphere which that doesn't 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 come in. We can make our soil to be resistant, just like some people are resistant to the gospel. We can make our soil resistant to those things. There's direct confrontation. We have to do that here at the church. Sometimes we have to directly confront. Some of those things that are that are going on in the in the body of Christ, and we will uh, speak out to them sometimes privately. Sometimes we have to do it in a public way, but we have to get out there and to do that. Sometimes you have to do that in your life. There's some people in your life that are bad doctrine, that are false, and you need to make sure that you you address that. Fourth thing was a love for the Word. Don't let anything else come in on that. Be in love with the Word and a pathway to truth. And we gave you some of the things that were involved with that that we have given you time and time again. But last week we ended with this. Make sure that you eat right, exercise, clean up, and socialize. That's the good things for the natural, but it's also for the spiritual. I asked you to find some things in your week that you were working on in those areas. Hopefully you, uh, you found some of those things. Love to see you pass them on. But over in First Timothy, we touched on this, began on this in the, the end last time. I want to take a little bit more time with it. Now, the Spirit, Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The word there for depart is basically meaning to cause to revolt, to desert, to lead away, to mislead, depart, fall away, abstain from, withdraw from, Basically, to fall away. That's what it's. That's what it's talking about. It says when they uh, when they depart, it's a willful decision on the part of the person. Some will depart from the faith. They will revolt against the faith. They will go against what the Word of God has said. They will willingly willingly leave it, depart from it, and go after something else. Now that description is not to attack. Um, your belief in God. By him describing this, he's not saying that this, this thing is coming in to try and get you to stop believing in God. To believe that God's a fake. 
what it's trying to get you to do is to depart from the basics, basic uh, tenets of the faith. If he can attack the basic tenets of the faith, the house will come down. He realizes the house won't come down all at once, but the enemy wants to come in and begin to weaken part of it. So he says they will depart from, from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now this word here, giving heed, this is a fun word. It means to hold the mind. To actually hold the mind. To capture your attention. To get you to pay attention to something else than what you were. To get you to apply yourself or to adhere to or to even become devoted to it. They want to come in, the enemy wants to come in and capture your way of thinking. He's going to bring other people in along and they're going to throw things out, things that they're doing for God. Again, it's they, he's not going to come in and come against the things of God. He's going to come in with something else to try and get your attention to focus on it. Now look at this, he says here next. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Two things, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits, the word, of course, we know from the Word of God, you are to test the spirits to see if they be of God. Because there are false spirits that are out there. And we have to make, make sure that we watch out for those things. That's over in 1 John. But over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, Of salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, look at this, which angels desire to look into. You will not find in the Word of God doctrines of angels. What you will find is doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. That's why we have to test the spirits. We have to to see what's going on. Because there are deceiving spirits and there are doctrines of demons. The angels don't come around there. The angels are not here to teach the church. When Paul was called up to heaven, it was not an angel who instructed him. In the Old Testament, some angels did some instructing on end times and things of that nature. But as far as doctrines are concerned, if God ever called anybody up to heaven, like Paul, there was a direct communication. Peter, when he received some doctrine, there was direct communication between God and them. But you see, what happens is, in these times, is that people come along and they have received teaching, doctrine, from wrong spirits and from demons. These are not things that are telling you that God is dead, that God is false. They don't even attack, necessarily, the work of Jesus. But they come in and they do other things to get your attention to be put on these things. Because the idea is, in, remember back in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, you shall, but you shall meditate upon it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that is written therein, because then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have... All right, so it sounds like that what is supposed to hold our attention is the Word of God. What is supposed to capture our attention is God's Word. And so the devil knows if you have your mind set on the things of the Word of God, he can't interfere with your prosperity, with your success. He can't do it. Because it's in the Word that if you do these things, this is what will happen. So he's got to come in with something else to get you to begin to focus on something that is outside the Word, but seemingly still of it. And in the end times, he says, this will become very, very common. You'll see this a lot more. That in the end times, as we near those, this is what he says we will begin to see. Let's, um, let's read some of the rest of this. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with. So here's some of the things. This is not an extensive list. This is just some of the things that sometimes people will come in and say, well, in your quest to become good for God, useful for God, you should not marry. That's what they'll say. And they'll, they'll try and use you know, things in the Word of God to build that up. Paul wasn't, wasn't married. And they'll use other things along those, those areas trying to, to support it to get you to focus on other stuff. They'll try and get you to uh, not eat certain things. To, to say, well, you know, uh, you should only eat vegetables. You should only eat these kind of vegetables. You should only eat these kind of meats. You shouldn't eat these kind of things. And they're trying to get you in on, the, on, on dietary things. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, is wrong. That's not what the, the Word of God's about. Even Jesus, when he was here on the earth teaching the disciples, he says, why do you get so concerned about what goes in your body through your mouth? What, is, what matters is what comes out through the heart. That's what matters. These are the things we need to focus on. He goes on here. In verse 4, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So notice he says this, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Nothing is to be refused. It'll be good. So if somebody puts something, if they put... You know, octopus in front of you. It'll be good. Because it says it right there. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of, the, of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane, no wife, wives' fables, and exercise yourselves toward godliness. For bodily exercise... Profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, people who follow this path have a particular doctrine that has captured their attention. You will find these groups 
they will have one doctrine, one particular thing, not found in the Word of God, not emphasized in the Word of God to the degree that they're emphasizing it, not taught in the Word of God the way they're teaching it, whatever it might be. They've got something. Usually it's one. Sometimes it might be more than that. But most of the time it's just one thing. And they focus everything upon that one thing. It holds their mind. It completely takes over their attention. In fact, it has captivated their attention in a way that is bizarre to you. Have you ever seen Christians that are so enamored with a particular doctrine, with a particular thing? And you just stand back and say, this is just weird. I don't understand this, this captivity with this particular thing. And everything is about it. No matter what you bring up, they bring this up. No matter what it is, they go back and they, they, they look at this. This is what it is. And this is what we have to be, be careful of because these things are, people out there are going on with these things. Now, I mentioned something last week. I don't know why I mentioned it. I just kind of threw it on out there. And I got a couple of comments and some people were a little bit unsure about what that was. And one of those was uh, inner healing. How many never heard of inner, inner healing before? I was kind of surprised at that because that was, that was way back before and I think it's still going around. Inner healing is basically this. And one of the kids put it on their, on their um, outline. They had a question, what, what is inner healing? So um, I shouldn't have skipped over that quite so, so much. But inner healing, what it is, it's a teaching that your problems are the result of some past hurts, some past things that have been done to you. It's all, it's all focused on the past. Somebody did something. You know, we have always heard the, the thing, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, my mother's fault, my father's fault, you know, whatever they did, it's, you, you just can't overcome it. Of course, then there's David. He overcame a bad relationship with mom and dad, at least with dad anyway. Don't really know what mom role was with him. But he overcame that. Other people did too. But they get you to focus on that. And that, so the whole thing is about getting you to uh, release these past hurts and these past things. And once you release those, then they'll find some other ones that were more deep-seated. And then once we find those, we find some others that are even more deep-seated. Because just the, the first ones we get into, these are just the surface ones. There's far worse stuff down on the inside of you. And we need to dig it out. And we need to spend time talking about this. And so you come in and it's a lot of counseling. A lot of counseling and healing. Not a lot of reading the Word, but a lot of counseling. We need to talk this through. You, and that you become dependent on the person that is counseling you. And then they foster that dependence. And I've seen it with people. Oh, I've got to go talk to my counselor. I've got to go talk with the, uh, my spiritual, whatever they put their name on for them. And they've always got to go there. Oh, I, I had a breakthrough. I just saw this, this thing. I just remembered something that was done. And it's all about the past things. And yet the Word of God very clearly states, what about the past? Lay it aside. We press on. You see, inner healing is not about pressing on. You are constantly hindered by what has gone on behind. And everything is about that. And I told you about this one couple. You know, they were very much into it. Brought it out to the church that I was at. And uh, they had this going on. They wanted me to be there. Now, they, we, had a, we had a lot of conflict. I told you a little bit about the conflict that was there. We had a lot of conflict that was there. One of the things that had gone on, because this particular one, uh, this particular family, they had daughters. They had all daughters. And in this uh, family, I believe at least two of them, maybe three of them, had gone through some type of anorexia. And so when they got a, a, a load of me, they were sure I was anorexic. 
They were absolutely positive I was anorexic because they had seen this in their daughters. Now, the reason they thought that is because at that time I had just gotten out of Raymond. Down at Raymond, I wasn't able to do a whole lot with with racing and running. And when I got back out, I was anxious to get back into it. And so I was racing and I was running. And my diet was so regimented. I was doing stuff, folks, that would just blow you out of the water, which you so healthy. I, I made pancakes from five different types of flowers, lecithin, and something that was green. I don't remember what it was. But do you eat these pancakes? They actually had nutrition. Most pancakes, there's no nutrition. And these were actually, you could live on these things. I don't know how flavorful they were for, for most people, but, you know, I got used to eating these things, and it, they, they tasted good to me. I, I liked them. And so I would have all these bowls of all these different kinds of flowers that I would be using to add the, into these things and, and make it all from scratch. And um, uh, I was very careful about what, I was very low fat, uh, very high protein, very high, high calories. And so when they first approached me about that and said, well, we think you might have this problem, I laughed in their face. Now, I wasn't eating as much as I did in college. In college, I had to eat, had to, just to maintain 4,500 calories a day. Try and eat that much. Just give it a try. It is. It takes work. It took me work. It was not pleasurable. It was, it was not something I look forward to eating today. So, but by, the, by then, I was still eating a lot more than most people did. And just to just to keep going, because you can't be losing weight and training. It's it's counterproductive. And I just laughed at them. But they they saw everything through that. Everything went through this inner healing uh, aspect of the. Every problem they saw, they saw it through these eyes. And that was just, that was garbage. Now, we haven't seen this too much around here, but some, you know, I mentioned this before too, but some folks in the area of, of prophecy, everything's around prophecy. Everything they do is prophesying. I mean, one group was around this area, they were prophesying the chairs for practice. They'd get together to practice prophesying, prophesying the chairs, prophesying the clocks. And they would do this uh, routine. I'm sure no one, ever, no one in here would have done this, but they had done this in a church in this area. They played musical chairs and they would play the music and you would walk around this chair and then uh, when the music stopped, whoever was in front of the chair sat down in the chair and whoever was in front of them prophesied over them. Just to practice. All their services were about prophecy. And so, you know, they got into a, a lot of personal prophecies and some people who came out to the church who had gone out to some of these things, they were running all over the place giving out personal words to people. How many, some of you might, folks might remember some of those things that had gone on and, you know, we were running around trying to, to, to take care of those things, what to, to deal with and, and, and so forth. Uh, most of them were breaking the rules that the Word of God put out. If you wonder how prophecy ought to operate, it's right in the Bible. The Bible says in a church, two or three. And let the rest, let the rest what? Remember what it says there? Two or three speak and the rest judge. The rest judge. You're supposed to judge it. Do you know that when you utter a prophecy, it's supposed to be judged? That there ought to be other people around? But see, they didn't teach that. They just had to go out there and find somebody and they would captivate them with these prophecies. People became addicted to these prophecies. My, my sister was at a church. They were so addicted. I mean, they did a lot of good things at this church. There was a lot of fun things in this, but they were really off in the area of prophecy. And I heard one person who got up 
And uh, they, were, they would travel around. They would minister to different places. And they got up one time and they said they were in a plane and there was all kinds of turbulence and problems were, were going on with the plane. And she said, um, well, I just, uh, uh, I believe that, you know, God was going to take care of that airplane. And she, and she said, this was, these were her words. I still remember them. I was in this service when that happened. She said, I grabbed my Bible. And I thought, oh, that's good. Grabbed my Bible and I opened it up and I pulled out my personal prophecies. And my, I just went, oh. just, just, I could just feel my soul stuff. Just, oh. you have the word of God, and you grab your personal prophecies. And she read over her personal prophecies because this church, if you had a personal prophecy, they would type it all out, hand it to you, and you would carry this thing around and and look at it. it became the word of God to you. Why not just grab with the promises that are in the word of God? Why not just claim those, those things? But you see, everything comes around. And so if, if it's inner healing, everything's about inner healing. If it's prophecy, everything's about prophecy. If it's uh, some other gift of the Spirit, everything is about that. And you see, these are the doctrines of demons. And they begin to teach things about these aspects of the Christian walk. In fact, it was probably even going on in Paul's day. Because remember something Paul wrote? Don't despise prophetic utterances. The reason for it is because doctors of demons would come along and mess it up. And people are going off there doing stuff that wasn't right. And you could just get to the point where you say, well, it's all bad. Just get rid of it all. No, don't get rid of it all. It's not all bad. Some of it comes from God. But you just got to keep it balanced. And so this is what he wants to get. This is what the, the goal of the enemy is. Let's get you off on one area. You, you, you can't do it. Even in the in your Christian walk, you can't just study all the things about faith or all the things about prayer or all the things about hope and nothing else. You've got to get out there and get the rest of it. You've got to have a well-balanced diet. You've got to bring other things in. Not just the stuff that you like, but other stuff as well. One look at an example here. There's actually uh, two examples we're going to look at. One is in Second Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son, king, in his place. For the raiders who came with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. That's over in Ahab's line. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Now, you remember all the stuff with Jehoshaphat and how he brought in this uh, union between his son and the uh, daughter of Ahab? And that was a bad thing. Therefore, he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. So you see, what happens is the enemy had brought in the wrong camp. He's got the, uh, the mother, who is a descendant of Ahab, coming in and counseling him. He's got people that were counselors over in Ahab counseling him because that's what they did for his father. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Jehoram. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah. 
when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, and Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. His going to Joram, Joram was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi. Remember Jehu, he was anointed to wipe out the house of Ahab whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the, the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who served Ahaziah that he killed them. And he searched for Ahaziah and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. See, because they brought some of Ahab's uh, women down there, some of the descendants now of David are descendants of Ahab. Remember, we talked about that before. They, they brought in a cursed line and a blessed line. When they had killed him, they buried him because... Oh, I'm sorry. Then he searched for Ahaziah, and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him because they said, He is the son of a Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Can you imagine how evil a person has to be? to go out there and kill all the sons and daughters, all the grandkids, wipe them all out. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of, of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. But you see the, the council that came in. See, he was, he was grown up and there were people in there. They were un, 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 ungodly people. And they were counseling him in a particular way. And he would follow after that way. Now we're going to break out of this way. This is the evil that was going on there. Terrible evil. Can you imagine this kind of evil going on where uh, the person who's ruling the, the kingdom would slay all those that are related to her because they were a threat. Wanted power that much. In, ch in uh, chapter 23, verse 1, In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. He's the priest, by the way. Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Johananan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Messiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord has said of the house of the sons of David. So what happened here was Jehoiada was involved in preserving him for all these years. And he trained him up in the things of God. And he made him ready for the throne. And in verse, down in uh, chapter 24, verse 1, Joash was seven years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years. We're skipping over the part in between. Uh, but there's a good reading there. If you haven't read that recently, go on back there and read that. Uh, after church today. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Now, the Beersheba is not from, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily from Ahab's territory. We don't really know a whole lot about her. Is she a descendant of them? It seems like she might have been. 
But um, I just couldn't find that out for sure. So Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. And we're going to skip over this, but for the rest of the part, he is, I mean, he puts everything into this. He goes after restoring the true worship of God. He goes after rebuilding the temple. He, he goes out there and cleans the thing out and restores all this and gets the priest going again. I mean, he, seven years old, and he is sold out for God. And he just puts everything into, into doing this. Now, can you imagine a seven-year-old boy, and however old he was when he, when he started doing all this, you know, it wasn't too much older, but going out there and you're facing all these people who were in the, uh, against God. And you're, you're standing there and no, no, we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to worship God this way. And I'm sure that there was some opposition. There were some people that were on the side of God, but there was some opposition too. Jump down to verse 15. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died and he was 130 years old. When he died, they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord, God of their fathers, served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Now, can you imagine this? That the country had worshipped idols. They had gone in that direction to worship idols. Elijah had come to the areas of the north and showed how useless those idols were. That news certainly got down into the southern kingdom. But still, they went out and they pursued those idols and they brought them into their land as well. And then they saw the result of that evil that it produced this woman who wiped out the king's, uh, the, the king's heirs. All the royal family just wiped them out. And ruled in an evil way. So much so that when she died, no one cared. And they saw what evil that produced. And then they had Jehoiada, who took them back into the things of God and how things had gotten better. Things were, were, were progressing. Things were, were improving. Things were looking good. Mm. Glory to God. And then Jehoiada dies. And people are just waiting in the wings. They're just waiting out there. And when it happens, they come up to the king who had shown a zeal for the things of God all these days. And they said, King, we want to go back and worship some idols. We want to go back and not serve Jehovah God. Now, I don't know how they did it. How, they, they, how subtle they started. How little it began and how much they increased it. I don't know exactly. But they did it. They came in. And it was accepted. And he begins to bring in this false stuff again. A man who had sold out for God. In fact, when people weren't working fast enough, if you go through and you read the story, 
He said, What's it? what is this? Why are you taking so long to get these things done? Let's go. Let's get the house of God built. Let's get it repaired. Let's get it going. Let's clean it up. Let's get things started again. Come on. And lit a fire under him. Because this was not something he was just doing passively. This is something he was interested in seeing get done. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testified against them but they would not listen he had a heart for God prophets came and began to speak to him and he wouldn't listen to him then the spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of who Jehoiada the priest Jehoiada the priest the man who saved his life preserved him and made a way for him to come back in and be king. Jehoiada put his life on the line for this king. Because if he was caught doing anything he was doing, he would have been killed and all his family. Put his life on the line. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. And so they conspired against Him and at the command of the king, they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him but killed his son. And as he died, he said, Forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they do. Uh, he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? <laughs> Lord, you, you see what they're doing? Get them. Get them for this. This isn't right. <laughs> so you don't always apparently have to pray <laughs> the, the other way. Have you ever not wanted to pray that way? Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You're inside you're thinking, they know exactly what they're doing. Well, apparently that's what he thought. Can you imagine having somebody in your life who had those kind of influences on you, saved you as a baby, put you in a place where you could be protected, and then when time came, He went out there and at the risk of his own life. Hey, I have a king. You want to help put him in power? This is the son of David. And he began to to go out and to talk to people. Can you imagine how spiritual you have to be before you go out and talk to... Who's a spy? Just think of the days over in communist Russia or Nazi Germany. If you were going to do something against the ruling power, how much did you have to fear for your life? That's what's going on here. They had to do all this in secret. If you're going to try and meet up with somebody and talk with them, if you were found out, they'd come and get you. You ever seen the documentaries of the people who tried to rise up and and, uh, assassinate Hitler? Germans. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what he was doing to the, the Jewish people. They didn't like what he was doing to the country. And they rose up and they had a plot. How did they do that? Well, they had to look at other... I, I think he might be on our side. 
and not to go and strike up a conversation, knowing that if they weren't on their side, they would be dead. And then another, and then another, until they got enough of them on that, that side to make the attempt. And there was an attempt, at least one attempt on his life that failed simply because a briefcase was moved. Well, if you all know that story, the story, the, the briefcase was moved from the side that it was to another side and the table protected him from, from being killed. But people did that at the risk of their own life. This is what Jehoiada did. For all the, can you imagine living like that for seven years? No one any time the door knocked. That could be them. They found out what you were doing. And they're coming to get you. And he did this. Not just because he loved the, the young, young lad. He loved his country. He loved God. And he knew this was the thing to do. What God wanted him to do. And so he, he brings all this together. He helps Joash and he tells them the stories. Along the way. And all the while. All that the king saw was Jehoiada. Always helping him. Always giving him the counsel of God. And everything that he told him, it worked. He was coming into great prosperity and his way was being successful. And then he dies. And other people come and they take the place because they saw an opportunity. And once that influence for good was gone, he was swayed to a place that was so contrary to what he walked in before. To the point that he would take a prophet of God speaking the words of God who was the son of the man who saved him and helped him and gave the command stone him with stones in the courtyard of the Lord. How far do you have to go for that to be? And it had to happen pretty quickly. It isn't like it, it took many, many years, decades. It's happened quick. Because that influence was gone. You see, up to that point, Jehoiada had his attention. Joash was captivated by the words of Jehoiada and the words of God that he taught him. He thought about him. He focused on him. They were his life. But then when he was gone, he didn't have somebody else who came up in his life and spoke those things. And it had not gotten to the point where he could speak them to himself. And so other people came in. And they began to speak these things. Those who influenced them changed. So what happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him. They came to Judah, Jerusalem, destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus for the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men. But the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. One day withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded. His own servants conspired against him 
because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest. Now their sons is plural. Apparently he didn't stop at one. And killed him on his bed. And so he died. And they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. So no one was very happy with him. Well, not, I can't say no one. There were some people in the kingdom that were not very happy. They went along with it because they didn't feel like they could stand up. Didn't have the courage to do that. Whatever it might be. But as soon as he was dead, as soon as an opportunity was there to take him out, they did. And he was dead. All right, we've got to bury him in the city, but we're not burying him with the other kings because we don't think he deserves it. We don't think that that's where he ought to be. So what has captivated your attention? What is it that captivates your attention? It can be all kinds of things. We only talked about a few, few things that were wrong in the inner healing and the prophecy, but you know there's other things that can captivate your attention. The Word of God says what's supposed to captivate your attention? The Word of God. That's what captivates your attention. I'm meditating on it night and day. Because everything that I do for God, I want to do according to the Word, how He instructed me, and what He taught me to do. So I, I let myself become captivated with the Word of God. Now, if the Word does captivate your attention, it does so for four reasons. And you maybe can find that fifth and the sixth, but I'm going to give you four here. Four reasons why the Word of God has become the captivating thing of your mind. Here's the first one. You understand it. If you did not understand the Word of God, it cannot captivate your attention. How many people do you hear in the church, in other churches, in other places? How many people do you hear, I just don't understand the Bible. I want to. I just don't understand the Bible. I don't think I can. I mean, I read it, but I don't understand it. Some of these people, maybe they grab hold of Psalms and Proverbs and they read those because those are nice bite-sized nuggets and they can digest those. And Well, I don't understand all that, all that doctrine stuff, but I just stay over there in the Psalms. Well, that's great, but you're not going to be helped with the area of doctrine. Some things you're going to be missing. If you are going to have something captivate your attention, like the Word of God, you've got to understand it. You've got to comprehend what it's saying to you. If you go in and you open up the, the Word and you don't feel like you can understand what it's saying, how often are you going to open up the Bible? How many of you understand chemistry? All right, we've got a few hands. If you opened up a chemistry book, you would understand it. And it would have some interest for you. But if you don't understand chemistry, and you saw a chemistry book, how many of you would be drawn to it? Keep that away from me. I don't understand it. Some of us said that about algebra. Geometry. I don't understand it. If I don't understand it, 
When it comes homework time, I'm forced to do the homework because I don't understand it. I don't know what I'm doing. And every time I get involved with the book, every time I get involved with the homework, every time I get involved with the project that's due, I'm always reminded, I don't understand this. I can't grab hold of it. And it won't captivate your attention. If you're going to keep the word in a place where it has captivated you, you've got to understand it. Sometimes you ought to just go off and have a confession. I can understand the Word of God. Just begin to speak that to yourself. But those prayers in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, and Colossians chapter 1, those are good prayers to pray. And they're about understanding the Word of God. Pray them. Because if you are going to be captivated by, by the Word, you've got to understand it. Do not be satisfied with, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. We've uh, done end times class here a number of different times, going through the book of Revelation. But it's probably one of the most intimidating books of the, for, for church people. Because what's the, what's the thing you hear out of Christians' mouths who will study all the Bible and it comes to Revelation and they'll say, Oh, I can't understand that book. I don't know what they mean. I mean, what's literal and what's figurative and what's... I don't understand all the symbolism and we just say that and we've gone through a number of different times with you and when you, when you go through and you look at it it's, it's not that hard of a book to understand in fact I usually say to people in the class or I've even said it here Revelation is the easiest book in the New Testament to understand by far it's not even, a, it's not even close it is the easiest book to understand let's see other people have made it complicated and we approach it I can't understand it Therefore, I'm not enamored with its teaching. It doesn't captivate me. That's the first thing. You've got to understand it. If something is going to captivate your understanding, your, your mind, you've got to understand it. Here's the second thing. It is interesting. If something is going to captivate your mind, it has got to be interesting. Have you ever sat through a movie? that was uninteresting boring what happens to your mind you're sitting there watching the movie because somebody's with you and they wanted to watch the movie but what are you thinking (sighs) I wish I could be doing something else right now I got some laundry laundry sounds exciting right now Maybe I can go wash some dishes. Oh, I know. I can go mow the lawn. I can pull weeds. We can think of other things because this is more interesting. It's more interesting than that. You know, some people, if you get two people together, a couple, you'll generally find, you know, one likes sports and one doesn't. But if you... If you, you know, find someone who doesn't like sports and they, they just want to sit and be with each other. There is one sport that I know that perplexes most people. Most people will sit down and to, to watch it and who don't watch it on a regular basis will say, I just don't understand the game. 
that sport would be hockey. And right after they say, I just don't understand the game, they also say, I can never follow the puck. And then usually, for the trifecta, we come in, why do they fight? And so that person, when they sit down and they watch hockey, they would not hold their attention. Maybe somebody who likes hockey, they would sit down and they would watch ballet. They would watch the opera. And they would say, I don't get it. Why are we watching something that's in a language we don't speak? Why are we doing that? You see, if you don't have the understanding... It's going to hinder you. And if you're not interested in it, it's not going to captivate you. Think of the days when you were dating, or maybe that's now. If someone has uh, captured your attention, someone of the opposite sex captured your attention, is it because they are uninteresting? No, it's because you're interested. You begin to think a lot in those lines, those areas. So first two things. You've got to understand the Word. It's got to be interesting. Have you ever listened to somebody teach the Word of God and it was completely boring? Man, I just, that is just, that is not interesting at all. It's got to be interesting. Have you ever read the Bible and it just didn't pop out as being interesting to you? not going to captivate you. We were reading through one of the chapters this week and I was reading through it and I said, boy, i got to go back and study this chapter again. Because just in reading, reading it through, I said, boy, I'm seeing some stuff here and mm, i got to figure out what that is because it's interesting. See, it has, captures your interest. So there's two things. You, you understand it. It is interesting. Here's the third one. It is useful. How much are you going to study the Bible if, oh, it's interesting and all, and I understand it, but it's not very useful. People may think that about history. Well, history, I understand history. That's, that's not hard to understand. Um, I'm interested in history. I like hearing, you know, how things had gone and what they built and what they did and different leaders and how things are going on. But I don't see that it matters to me at all. Well, see, it's not going to captivate you to the same way. Because I don't see it as useful. See, the word, you need to understand it. It needs to be interesting. And it needs to be useful. You need to know, how can I use this How can I use this for me? How can this change my life? What does this do for, for me? You see, if, if I can find ways to take what's in the Bible and make it useful at home, useful at work, useful in my relationships, useful in making money, 
useful in other areas, it's going to captivate my interest a whole lot more. Because I'm interested in what it can do for me. This can change my life. This can, this can help me. I mean, how many times have you been on Facebook and one of those ads pops up? And just looking at that little video that goes on, the thought comes in, this might be useful. You know, they got that fantastic cleaner and you just see the video, you don't hear any, any sound and they spray it on the stuff and it just wipes off. Huh. Oh, that's useful. I, I can find uses for that. See, they're trying to captivate your attention. They just need your attention long enough for you to make that order. You got to understand the Word of God. Got to, got to understand, and you can understand it. You can understand it. I got to find places where this is useful. It's interesting to me. It's useful. One more. The Word of God. You need to understand it. It's interesting. It's useful. Here's the last one. It ministers to your spirit. It ministers to your spirit. In the physical realm, you can get interested in a food if you feel it ministers to your body. Have you ever eaten some foods and you just feel good after eating those foods? Have you ever had some foods that you eat and you feel, oh, oh, that just tore me down. Oh, I don't feel good after eating that, that food. If you, if you can feel that difference in your body, good or bad, that will get you captivated one way or the other. Either I am never stepping foot in there and eating that again. Or, oh, I'm going to go back I'm going to have some more of that. I'm going to get that again. That was, that was so good. You see, if just an area of food, if you had a, some food that you feel like it's useful and it ministered to your body, would that captivate your attention? You could begin to do everything about that food for a while. You might even get tired of that food. Because you ate it too often. See, the Word of God needs to minister to your spirit. It can minister to your spirit. But if I don't feel it ministering to my spirit, it's going to take my interest level down. It's going to take my need for that. It's going to lower it. So I've got to focus on these four things. What can I do with the Word to bring these things about? What can I do to make the word understood, interesting, useful, and that it ministers to me? What can I do to, to get these things going? Now, here's what the enemy is going to try and do. The enemy understands these things are going on in your, in, in your life. He understands these things are necessary. He understands if I can get rid of these things, 
then I can take you down. And what he did with the king here in this story was he attacked those four areas. And all he needs is one of them to break. Because as soon as one of them breaks, he can get another one to break. As soon as he can get it so that you don't understand it, you don't think, I don't think I, can, I, don't think I understand this. He can, he can begin to attack you in the area of interest. He can begin to attack you in the area of usefulness. And once he gets a second one down, he can start tearing down some more. And pretty soon the word that used to captivate you no longer captivates you. And you wander along in a different thing. See what the devil has done, what the enemy has done, is he has drawn out of you something you never thought he could. You didn't even think it was there. Become uninterested in the Word. Not let the Word of God order my life. That won't happen to me. See, he's going to come in and do that. He's going to take these things away from you. He'll do it all kinds of ways. Now, I've told you before, I had a, a number of uh, people. I called them influencers in my life. I, they were not just teachers. They were people that when they taught, they influenced my life. And they influenced it greatly. But along the way, different things were done to try and get those people out of my life. Some of the attitudes that I saw, some of the ways they behaved, some of the things I saw that were less than what I thought should be. And the thought would come in, well, you don't need people like that in your life. But you see, they had an anointing to teach the Word. And I had a need to learn it. So I stayed with it. And I stayed with them. I didn't let those little things come up and hinder me from receiving the understanding that I needed. Because they helped me to understand the Word. They made the Word of God interesting to me. They made it useful. And I could feel my spirit being ministered to listening to these things. So when things would come up, when people would say stuff about these particular people, no, nope, I'm not receiving that. Because I know when I get underneath that teaching, my understanding grows. I understand it better. I understand how to use it. I can put it into, into practice. It'll change some of the things that I'm doing. And see, these were vital so I didn't let people come in and take these things away. I didn't let other people who wanted to say things about this particular teacher. I let, didn't let certain things that they did or said take me away from that. No, no, no. I'm hanging on to this. And I hung on. And I became better for it. And I stayed captivated with the Word still captivated with the word because I know there's still so much more I can I can learn but you see he's going to try and come in and, and he's going to take people out of your life that, uh, that do that for you he's going to come in and bring other things into your time the time that you had that you used to study the word listen to the word hear the word meditate on the word other things are going to begin to come in and try and take that away Things that other people say. I'm going to try and take that away. 
Don't let that happen. Nope, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on meditating on the Word. I'm going, to, I'm going to stay with this. This is important stuff. I need to stay with Him. But the enemy's coming after Him. He's coming after Him. Just as Joash was so sold out for the things of God, so focused on taking an entire nation out of the direction it was going, into a direction of following after God, faced all the opposition as a young lad, had all that zeal, the enemy was able to get in and alter him so that he was no longer passionate for the same things. And as soon as that passion went, he killed the sons of the person who helped him the most. Understand this. This is what the enemy can do to you. He can turn you so much from the direction you were going that the people that were instrumental in getting you there are suddenly despised in your eyes. You look at some people who got off on doctrine, some of the ones we talked about, some of the ones that you're mindful of. Everything is about this particular special doctrine that they have. Everything is about this special understanding that they have. No one else understands this as well. And if you come and you begin to show them different teachers, well, they don't teach on this. They don't, they don't emphasize this. They're not into the inner healing. They're not into the ultra prophecy. They're not into the ultra grace. They're not into all these different things. Therefore, we reject everything that they have because they don't have this thing. And you see what the enemy has done is he has gotten into their life. And he has taken away the things that are going to help them. He's replaced them with others. And it will send them spiraling down. With Joash, the people like Jehoiada, who counseled them in the things of God, were replaced by counselors of Ahab. Counseled with people who honored idols over God. And he accepted them. And he welcomed them in. And his direction was so completely changed. And no longer was he going after God. In fact, God was against him. Don't be in fear of this happening to you. Be aware that it can. And take steps to make sure that it doesn't. Stay captivated with the Word of God. Stay captivated. Don't let it go. Just like Joshua said, was told, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Keep speaking the Word. Keep speaking the promises. Keep speaking the things that God has said. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Be captivated by the word. Captivated by it. Don't let anything else come in that's against the word. Just bring in the word. Bring in the word of God. Got all kinds of sources out there that want to come against the word. Things from the news. 
people on the radio, people on the TV, movies, shows on TV, conversations with people. All sorts of things are going on in our society now. They want you to become captivated with something else. Stay captivated with the Word of God. Focus on the Word of God. Don't let the enemy come in and undermine you. And just understand, this guy's in in the Word of God for a reason. All these stories. He didn't just say he was a bad king and, and wrote them off. Some kings you hear about, well, they started out good, but then they went bad. But we got the detail on this one because God wanted you to know how you could be pulled off track. You're not going to be pulled off track with God hating things. You'll be pulled off track with things that seem like they're godly. But Paul says there are doctrines of demons. They're deceiving spirits. Doctrines of demons. But you've got an unction down on the inside. You've got the Holy One down on the inside of you. And when that wrong stuff comes in, that Holy One will come up on the inside of you and He'll say, Watch out, Steve. Oh, that's not right. That's wrong. Don't buy into that. Stay away. When He tries to get me to think on negative things about people. No, don't do that. What's the Word of God say about them? Think on those things. When He tries to get me to think that everything in this world is going to end. What's the Word say? We've got to keep coming back to the Word of God. That's where we go. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Glory to God. Father God, mm, we don't need to walk around here in fear. We just need to be aware. We need to be aware that the enemy has tactics. The enemy has things he wants to try and do. The enemy wants to pull us away from the things of God. He wants to get us that we are not captivated by your word, but we're captivated by something else. That something else may seem like the word, but it's not. It may seem like something of God, but it's not. And it will captivate our attention. And pretty soon, all of our focus goes on that thing and not on the Word. Because He wants us to drift. He wants us to get away from our foundation. He wants us to become cold to the things of God. But I thank You that down on the inside of us is an unction. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. And He comes up and He tells us, Beware, that's not right. That's not right. I thank you, Father, that you are here to help us, instruct us, and to teach us. That you have people in our lives that are Jehoidas, that help us, speak the truth to us. The enemy knows they're helping us. He's going to try and get them out of our life. He's going to try and get us to turn our back on them. But we won't do it. I thank you that what you have put on the inside of us, we will draw off of that 
and not allow the devil, the enemy, to pull out of us the things he wishes. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Brother Keith. Glory to God. Thank you, Pastor, because you're equipping us. Somewhere in there. Okay. But thank you, Pastor, for equipping us because we all need to be equipped. You know, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And as long as we are equipped and ready for battle, the Word of God says that no weapon formed against us can prosper, shall prosper, will prosper. It ain't going to work. It's not going to happen. Thank you, God, that you have given us your word. I have a couple prayer requests here. Uh, One is from Miss Candy, and her cousin went home to be with God, to be with Jesus. She ran her race. She finished her course, and now she's with her father. You know, sometimes we don't realize we, we love people so much, we don't want them to go, but if we had an opportunity to be in the presence of God, we wouldn't want to be back here, okay? Now, unfortunately, when they go home and they shout and they they sing and they dance and they fall in the presence of God, a bunch of us are still left here. So Miss Candy's request is, her prayer request is, that we would pray for her cousin Gloria's husband, also named Bobby, that the Lord would send people into his life to encourage him and to build him up. Also, we want to continue to encourage and lift up Miss Candy and Mr. Bobby because last week we had a praise report how Mr. Bobby is starting to get his healing because he's not just waiting on the Lord, but he is waiting on the Lord. He's serving the Lord. He's doing what the God, what God would have him to do. But in the middle of all that, the enemy will come in and he'll try to discourage you. And what we want to do is we want to continue to encourage them and lift them up. Okay, A lot of times we don't realize what an effect that we have on one another as the body of Christ. Okay, How much our encouragement, how much us speaking a word into people's lives makes a difference in their lives. We don't understand that. And I've got more of that here as well. I have a prayer request from Sister Ento. And her prayer request is that we would pray for those places where the medical service isn't what it should be or could be. And that they would be provided and have better medical service. Because, you know, a lot of times we take for granted our medical service here. And we complain about it and we say a lot of things about it. But you know what? No matter who you are, what's going on, if you are in the hospital, the doctors are coming to see you, all right? The specialists are coming to see you. It's not like that everywhere, right? And and Sister Ento is praying for everybody, but she also is praying for her father because her father has been going through some things and he hasn't been able to see a specialist as of yet. Okay. We need to be praying for divine favor for Sister Ento's father. 
as well. Okay. And we can flip the script and I can flip the page and we go from that to Sister Ento has praise reports here. <laughs> and her first one goes along with what I was just saying. She is praising God for her church family. See, we don't understand a lot of time just how much we mean that we are here to encourage her and lift her up and, and to pray for her and to hold her hand and, and just look at her and give her a smile. We don't understand that. Okay? So that's one of her praise reports. Another one is about her car. See, last week she was having some issues with her car. And, and you know, again, her church family, you know, Sister Phyllis came to her with a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is maybe you better check your oil. <laughs> See, we a lot of times we expect these words from God to be something wonderful, marvelous. A bolt of lightning comes down with them. <laughs> better check your oil. When they checked the oil, what happened? Couldn't find any in there. Now, I know there was some in the in there, but it wasn't registering on the dipstick, so that means you're pretty low. So praise God for a word of knowledge. Okay, so they were able to get that together, and her vehicle is operating properly now, and she's here in her vehicle, and we thank God for that. Okay, that's the car. Word of knowledge. Okay, I have a praise report from Ms. Alyssa. Now, last week we had a praise report about Lissy and her going to school. And we had a praise report about God providing the means to go to school, as in half the tuition was being taken care of. But at that time, we said we were going to do what? Excuse me? Pray for more. Eh? Hallelujah. All right? We were going to pray for more provision. Guess what? I have officially been hired as a teacher for an ESL company. I am able to teach from home, so I never have to leave my kids to find child care. Glory to God. All right, glory to God. Think about child care. How much does child care cost? We're praying for finances? Please. All right. And she says this is an answer to prayer. I've got to check my upside-down reading. Because the salary is going to, and she had been praying for a way to bring in some more money to pay for kindergarten. Look at God. Hallelujah. God will provide. This is why we like praise reports here. Because what we need to do is we need to encourage one another. We need to practice the presence of God. Okay. We need to speak what is going on in our lives in order to encourage others. I have a praise report from Sister Marguerite or Rita for short. <laughs> and she's praising God for just the ability for good teaching of the word of God, not only from pastor, but that there are places, there are books, there are other ministers that bring forth the word of God that we need, okay? I always talk about to my sister about hobby horses, your religious hobby horses. Like pastor was saying, a religious hobby horse is, these one subjects that you always go back and get on the hobby horse and I got to ride the hobby horse. 
we need the whole counsel of God. And Sister Marguerite is actually thanking God because she's been able to get a book uh, that teaches on confronting offense and understanding the tactics that the enemy uses in this regard. Glory to God. Brother Victor. Oh, let's say first that we have the Ekpe family east, and they are actually joining us via Facebook today, so they're here and they're watching right now. And then uh, Brother Jolly said stand by for photos, so I guess they're going to be sending us some photos. All right, if we haven't gotten them before we leave, uh, hopefully we'll have them by next week. But uh, Brother Victor is praising God because, as we heard last week, his father was experiencing medical problems, and we were praying for him as well. And what had happened was he had suffered a stroke, okay? And he couldn't move his body, okay, and was unconscious. But glory to God, his father regained consciousness and was able to move his limbs and can't do a long story short because I've been talking too long already, but his father is discharged and home. Glory to God. Okay, we've got them watching. I got one more, and that's for me. Now, you know it would be hard if I couldn't read my own writing, right? That would be horrible. So, you guys, if, if you're here early, you'll see me come in, and a lot of times when I come in, I'm on the phone. And what I do, my mother goes to dialysis, so I have to arrange for a ride for her to go to dialysis three times a week. Okay, so, and what had happened last night, I said to Vanessa, I said, Vanessa, I don't think I called for her ride for Monday, tomorrow morning, and usually I'm supposed to call three days ahead of time. So, I checked my notes because I write the notes down when I call and everything else. I had not called. So first thing this morning, I'm calling to get my mom a ride. So I get there, I call and everything else. And the woman says, okay, we've got that time. It's going to be a little earlier and we'll take that and that's fine. But I see here that you are going to receive a standing order starting next Monday. Hallelujah. Miss G knows what that means, okay? It means I don't have to call three times a week, okay, that they're going to have her on her schedule. And for me, that is, that is an answer to prayer, okay? You see how God shows up? You see how God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think? See, before I get up and get up here because since pastors asked me to do this I need to have something to say when I get up here and if God doesn't say something to me I would have absolutely nothing to say so what I do is I try to seek God and each Sunday and before Sunday he keeps giving me different things and this morning one of the things that he was kind of put in my spirit is the idea of being intentional in all that we're doing Okay, we have to be intentional in our prayer, in our praise. Okay, we have to be intentional because we have to understand we're doing this not for us but for God. Okay, but even though we're doing it for God, we have to be expectant. We have to expect God to show up and to show out. That's big. Okay, 
not because it's required, but because it's part of the benefit package. Last week I asked us about who likes stuff. Okay, we don't get stuff because it's required. We get stuff because it's part of the benefit package. Glory to God. God wants to give us things. Hallelujah. All right. So greet one another and continue to keep the praise reports coming 